You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, let's dive into Matthew 21. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew 21. Uh, and of course, if you've got your iPads, phones, uh, you know, there's great apps. The Bible app's awesome. If you want to grow in your faith, get in that. I'd encourage you to. I'm, an, I'm a little old fashioned with this. I like to have a paper Bible because I, how many know you can get distracted real easy? Like I'm going on to read the verse of the day, my devotional, whatever, and then I'm checking email. People are sending me stuff. I'm like, no, get behind me, Satan. Anyway. I, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not. And, and you want to you wanna have that in front of you. And so if you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and uh, verse 1 says that when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus then sent two disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Loose them and bring them to me. Uh, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Uh, I thought about doing that with some buildings in town. Anyway, um, all, all, this was <laughs> all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey, the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him. Him upon them, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. This is where Palm Sunday comes from. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a exclamation of praise, but it's also a prayer. So it's a quote from the Psalms, and it's a declaration that they were acknowledging Jesus is the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the king coming to his city, uh, coming to fulfill the promise that God made to David, that there would always be a king on that throne. And ultimately, Jesus was to be that fulfillment and the fulfillment of all of God's promises up to that point. But this declaration is Hosanna means this. It means save now. It comes from a root word, a root, a Hebrew root that means to be wide or open or free. And the idea there is that, that when they're declaring save now, they're saying uh, both a praise that you are the one who saves, but also save now. It's a prayer of intercession saying now is the time. Now is the time for freedom. Now is the time for, for what has held us captive for us to be set free from that. And so the story opens with Jesus going and sending his disciples to loose the colt, loose and untie something that had already been set apart for God, that was already, that belonged to God. And so he says, to loose it and say, if anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And as Jesus entered the city, he came not as he was expected to come, not as a conquering king, but as a humble servant. 
not as one riding in with an, at the head of an army, but coming lowly, humble, demonstrating his, his humility as the one who, was, who is the highest, who's at the highest of highest thrones, whose name is above every other name, and yet he humbled himself and lowered himself, not just, the point, not just to the point of riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, but to the point that a week later he would go to the cross and he would be crucified, put to death as a criminal for a crime he never committed. He, was, he paid the price of sinners though he was without sin. And Jesus came as that kind of a king, not to conquer through, through strength and power, though he has infinite power. He came to demonstrate his great love through his sacrifice. And that answer, though they didn't know it, the answer to that declaration, Hosanna, was what he was gonna do just seven days later on the cross, just a few days later on the cross, that Jesus was gonna come and on Good Friday, just a few days later, he was gonna be crucified. And then three days after that, he was gonna conquer the grave, conquer sin, conquer death and conquer hell. And the answer to their prayer was save now. And they, they're asking for, you know, like save me from what I'm dealing with right now. Save me with what I'm facing right now. Save me with, from the Romans and save me from our oppressors and save me from my, my daily issues. And while Jesus would, would come to bring freedom, it didn't look like they expected because there was a greater oppressor than the Romans. There was a greater need than what they could see politically or naturally or physically. It was the greatest need that every person in all of human history has had and it's the need of dealing with the problem of sin. If you wanna look at the condition of our nation and the, the suffering and the things that happen every, seems like every day and every week, the issue at the heart is the same problem that's always been the problem. It's the problem, the human problem of sin. And Jesus came to be the answer. He's actually the only answer for the problem of sin. Religion can only cover it, can try to reform it, but you can't reform something that's dead. You have to raise it to life. And we were dead in sin, but Jesus came not to make bad men better, but make dead men live. And Jesus comes to raise us from what has held us captive. And I believe everything else, whether it's fear or oppression or, or, or broken relationships, broken families, broken marriages, all the things that we experience in a world under the influence of sin is that uh, we, we, we recognize that Jesus comes to bring freedom from that. Here's what it says. There's actually several verses in the Bible that tell us the purpose or the mission of Jesus. One of those is in the gospels where he says, the son of man came to seek and to save what's lost. We don't wanna just be a church for Christians. We wanna be a church that reaches those that are far from God. And so that's what was in the heart of Jesus. But also here's what he says, 1 John 3, 8, John says of Jesus, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested. That is, he was revealed from heaven. That is why he came. The son of God became the son of man that he might destroy. Can everybody just say that word, destroy? that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy, of course, means the obvious. It means to take it apart, destroy, but it also means to, literally, it means to loose somebody, to set them free, to untie what's been tied up. Any of you, when you were a little kid, especially, I know the boys probably did this, you tied somebody's shoelaces together, 
Just, you don't know why. He just did it because he thought it'd be funny. And, and, and he did that just to see them kind of like hobble around a little bit and struggle a little bit. And, and uh, y'all are more spiritual than maybe Nick and I were. Um, and, and so we're laughing, but you're not. Uh, but, but here's the idea. And, and I think this is important because destroy carries the idea of the weight, the magnitude of what Jesus did, but also the simplicity of what Jesus did in what's tied us up and what's held us captive. What's, what's kept us from moving forward in freedom in God, Jesus came to destroy it, untie it, literally release you from it, set you free. A few points today. Number one is this, Jesus, and we're gonna look at a story in a moment that happens right after this that illustrates this, but I, I wanted to start out with these points because I think they all go together. Jesus turned the tables on my past and future. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist the urge to quote Michael Scott today. Two of you know what I'm talking about. Um, Jesus turned the tables on the enemy. He turned the tables on my past and on my future. And what does that mean? So to turn the tables, literally, if you just look up that phrase, that, that expression that's used is, you know, how the tables have turned. And so there's this expression that carries this idea that, there was, that, that things were going a certain way, but now they've turned to my advantage, and this is important because your past held you captive. Your past kept you bound. Your past kept you from the future that God had for you. And yet Jesus comes and he starts this story. This story begins with a colt that's been tied up being set free. A donkey that's been tied up being set free by the disciples. Do you know the mission of the church was to be free and to set others free? was to be untied, to be delivered, to be released from what's held us captive, whether it's fear or shame or, or our past or the grip of sin or, or the power of addiction, whatever it is, that Jesus would set us free so that we could see freedom come to others. You're, you're, you're called to untie some things. You're called to release. What are you called to release? What belongs to God. Jesus one day was, the Pharisees came to him and they tried to trap him with this. And it's always funny, you know, they always tried to outsmart Jesus and you just can't do it. Uh, and, and one of the tricks that they did was around tax time, which is everybody's favorite time, I'm sure. Um, and uh, one of the, I, I had to be on, on hold the other day with the IRS. That was no fun. And anytime you get a messaging system, it's painful. Uh, especially when, uh, you know, there's no such thing as customer service when you are the IRS. Anyway, that's a whole other thing, conversation. But here's, here's what happens. The, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they bring, they try to trap him. They say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it lawful for us to be, and of course, you know, they know the crowd's about as excited about taxes as you probably are. I'm teaching my, ta my kids about taxes by eating a cheese curd every time I give them cheese curds from Culver's. <laughs> this is what you feel like you're owed. This is what you actually get to keep. It's called the dad tax. <laughs> And, and so they try to come to him. They say, listen, uh, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or to, to give this to God? And, and here's what he says. He says, well, whose picture is on the coin? A Roman coin would often have the picture or imprint of Caesar, the emperor, the, the leader of the Roman empire. And so he says, well, whose picture's on it? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he says, well, here's what you do. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And, and I used to just think that was just about money until I realized what bears, it, the image that's born on that coin is the image of Caesar, but you bear the image of God. 
You bear the image of the one who created you, who formed you, who shaped you, who loved you enough that even in our sin, he came to rescue you, to redeem the image of God in your life. And Jesus came. And so when he says, give to God what's God's, he's saying, give your life to God because you, are, you bear his image. And when we recognize that people who are bound are not their issue, but they bear the image of the God who's created them. And we often define people by their greatest failures, their greatest mistakes, or, or what, where, what their past has been. But Jesus turns the tables on our past and our future, and he sets us free. You, when, when Jesus is in the equation, you can't determine your future by your past. Nor can you judge somebody else's future just by their past because what Jesus can do in our life is he steps into the mess and he looses us. He sets us free. That's, that's, that's a term we used to throw around a lot in the, the, you know, in the church. We throw around, you know, we're binding the devil and we're loosing people. And, and we, you know, I used to hear that and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And most of the people who said it didn't know what it meant either. But you know what it means? It means when you lose something, you're releasing it. You're permitting it to go. When you're binding the opposite, it's literally to deny access. I wonder what would change in my life if I would stop giving access to the enemy and to the lie and to the thing that's held me captive and instead say, I'm gonna permit the word of God and the purpose of God and the grace of God into my life in a greater way and I'm gonna shut the door on the thing that's bound me. And what if we did that for others and we became people that carried Jesus? You know, the world doesn't need a new demonstration or, or excuse me, a new, a new definition of Christianity. It needs a new demonstration of Christianity. And, and all the time, people are trying to redefine it, but it's, it's, you don't need to redefine Christianity. You just go back to the word of God and the foundation of Jesus and find out that he is in the business of setting captives free. And he starts with us. He sets us free for eternal purpose. Luke chapter 13 tells a story that illustrates this. He says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and she was bent over and in could no way raise herself up. See, there's some things you can't do on your own. There's some things that self-help can't fix. There's some things that you just can't convince yourself to get over. There's, not, there's some things that willpower alone won't be sufficient. But the power of Jesus is more than enough. Jesus saw her in the condition that she was in for 18 years. He saw her. Can I just tell you, Jesus sees you. He sees your need. He sees your hurt. He sees your brokenness. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He sees our past. And the God who sees more than anybody ever will loves us more than anybody ever will. We think the fact that God knows us, like deep down knows us, means that he would push us away because that's usually how we've dealt with people. Like if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If they really knew who I am, but God knows who we are, he sees who we are, and he loves us, and he calls us, and that's what he says, he calls her to himself. And he says, woman, you are free, you are released, you are loosed from your infirmity, which she dealt with for 18 years, and religion couldn't fix. She couldn't help herself. Jesus said with his word, you are free, you are loose. He lays his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And I won't read the rest of it, but it gets all the religious people in the house upset. I don't know how messed up you gotta be to get mad about somebody getting free. 
but that's what religion does. Religion has to be center stage and Jesus won't let it. Jesus set this woman free and they get mad because he did it on the Sabbath, the day you're not supposed to do any work. And he says, listen, if your donkey fell in a ditch, wouldn't you help it out? And I love what he says though. He says, if you would do that for something so far less, how much more should this daughter of Abraham, who's been bound for 18 years by the enemy, how should she not be free? And you know what he points to? He points to her identity as a, as a daughter of Abraham, a child of promise, as one who is a part of a covenant relationship. And he says, it's not okay that she stays in this condition. It's not okay that the enemy has this effect in her life. And I think as the church, we just got to get back to that place where we don't accept what God doesn't accept. And we don't tolerate the activity of the enemy, even in our own life. But, but what, what God says is temporary, we accept as permanent. Okay, so he says, this daughter of Abraham, how should she not also be set free? She bears the image of God. She belongs to God. Number two, let's, let's go back to uh, Matthew 21. Jump ahead here. I messed all my notes up. Put number two on the screen for a minute while I look for it. Oh yeah, here we go. Jesus turned the tables on my expectations. This is interesting because Jesus comes into the city and they're expecting him as the king. And I, I usually talk about expectation on the positive and we'll end with that in a moment. Expectation is a good thing. Expectation, right expectations, faith-based expectations based on the promise of God, based on what God has said, raises the bar of my faith. So what does that mean? Every time, we, we define it this way as a church. We say faith is our lifestyle. It's one of our values as a church. And faith is more than a belief system. It's not just the statement of faith we agree to and say, yeah, this is what Christians believe. No, it's more than that. It's what we believe about God, but it's how we live based on what we believe. So it's, it's, it's what I do as a result of what I believe about God. <clears throat> if, that's, if God is who he says he is, that sh and I believe it, it should affect my anticipation. Like, like we don't just show up and go, well, it's time just to have church because that's what we do on Sunday morning. No, we're expecting God to do the impossible today. Yeah. We're expecting God what, like that, that whole crowd gets mad at Jesus. The, the religious leader gets mad at Jesus because he healed a woman who had an issue for 18 years. He, he broke the expectations of religion. But you know, sometimes there's misplaced expectations that aren't based on what God has said, but it's on our own agendas. Okay. I'm just gonna mess with things for just a moment, if it's okay. Have you ever expected God to do something because you thought it's what he should do, but he does it different? Or does it in a different time? That's, that's a big one for me. Like, God, God, can you do this like now? How about now? <laughs> Anytime now, God. And, 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 and instead of recognizing that there's some things God will do in a moment and there's some things that there's a process, I, knew, I, I know he's good and I know he's faithful. And the more I get to know him, I know that he's gonna do what he said he would do. But in the process of waiting, I can trust that God's actually working all things together for good. And that's where we get a lot, a lot of times we get messed up because we put expectations on how God's gonna do it and when God's gonna do it. And, and we give God all the conditions and all of their conditions were the Messiah's here, Hosanna, son of David, you're gonna come here and you're gonna kick out the Romans. What are they looking for? A political solution 
to a universal problem. And when we as the church look to the wrong source for the only thing we can get from Jesus, and that can be personal, that can be in our relationships, that can be in our marriage, that can be in our nation. Jesus is the only answer for our future. That's just the reality. Like what, what we need is a move of God in a generation that's gonna change the hearts of generation because you can change all kinds of things politically, but if you haven't changed the heart first, all of those other solutions will be short-lived or be tainted and corrupted because Jesus is after hearts and that's what really brings true and lasting freedom. And I think the reason why many times, at least in my life, I put wrong or misplaced expectations is my own pride. I'm like, God, you gotta do it this way in my time. But you know what I love in this picture is while their expectation is Jesus is gonna come into the city a different way, the Bible all, all along said, your king is coming to you lowly, coming in humility. Jesus was after something that was greater than what they were expecting. And that's the truth about God, is that what I'm setting as an expectation for God and then maybe by my standard or my timetable, God doesn't live up to that. It's usually because of me saying, I want things to be my way on my plan. And when he doesn't do it, then I get mad with God. Anybody else ever do that before? But I've learned that that's not the, the best way to approach life. And I'm a lot happier because I found out that his plan and what he wants me to trust him for is actually far greater than what, what I would have settled for. And here's the key. We see it in what they demonstrate. They lay down their palm branches. They take their garments and set them down. They create a pathway for the king to enter. Do you know the key to your freedom is found in surrender? In fact, I would just say this. The key to everything that God can do and wants to do in my life is often found in the place of surrender. And surrender sometimes is hard when we're trying to be the one in charge. It's gonna get a lot easier, I promise, in a minute. But we gotta start there because I think sometimes we put all of these ideas and sometimes just wrong ideas about God. And it comes out of places of disappointment. It comes out of making things that are simple very complex. You know, religion has always complicated what God made very simple. It just does. Uh, here's, here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Jenna, can you grab me water? He says, but I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. And so may your, that, excuse me, so your minds may be corrupted, thank you, from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, I don't want you to be, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm concerned about you, that you're gonna make things too complicated. <laughs> and guess what? In 2,000 years, the church has often made things more complicated than they need to be. And, and, and the simplicity is found in Jesus. The simplicity is found in, I'm gonna trust you. It's like the old hymn says, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And sometimes that means I understand what he's doing and many times it means I don't know what he's doing, but I trust him. And in the process, it looks like me laying down my expectations to create a pathway for his will in my life. Laying down the palm branches and praise and worship and celebration. That's what a palm branch would be was it, in that time. They would wave it as a banner of victory. It would be waved in celebration of the triumph that just was accomplished. And yet before they 
even would see what they're expecting to happen. They're in advance celebrating. They're in advance crying victory. They're in advance shouting Hosanna. And Jesus enters into that place, and I, I think it's important, they lay down their cloaks. And of course, they're just creating a pathway for, for the king, to the, the, the donkey, not to have to step on the dirt-covered road. But the picture is interesting, because it's often our, what we wear is a projection to the world of who we want them to see us as. And how many times do we try to project the world something that is other than what God has created and called us to be? He says, lay it down. When you lay down that, you create a pathway. You make room. You invite the king to step into that situation. I've learned this, that the more I surrender, the more peace I have. The more, sur the more I surrender, the more joy I have. When I've learned to lay everything down, I found the result of that is I get to wave a banner of victory in a way that, that the things I tried to fix on my own, I couldn't. The things I tried to change on my own, I couldn't. We invite the king to step in. Matthew 11, John the Baptist is considered to be like the, he's the pinnacle of, of the prophets that have come up to that point. Jesus says, of those born of women, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. And he uses that to illustrate how after the cross and after the resurrection, that the, the least in the kingdom, that's you and I, the least in the kingdom, we're in the kingdom in Jesus. And he says, the least in the kingdom is greater than even the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. That's amazing. And, and yet, here's, he, he gets into this conversation out of John's disappointment. John is the one who baptized Jesus at the Jordan River. John's the one who saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon the Son of God, heard the voice of the Father say, heaven opened and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist is the one who, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like John's certain, he's got this figured out. But then some things happen along the way where John gets put in prison. He's preaching righteousness and he gets imprisoned by the political leaders of the day. And, and here's what happens. He's about to be martyred. And while he's there in prison, he's hearing about Jesus doing miracles and raising the dead and opening blind eyes and all these things that he's doing. And John sends word from his disciples. I want you to read this, uh, Matthew 11. When John heard in prison, I think that's the key, in prison, <laughs> about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said, are you the coming one or do we look for another? The same man who was certain a moment before now is uncertain. Why? Not because Jesus changed, but he's now in prison. Some of his plans change. Are, are you with me? Have you ever thought this isn't the way I expected it to be? I thought things would be different. I thought it would have turned out different. I thought I'd be further along, whatever it is. And, and Jesus answered and he says, um, here's what you do. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel or good news preached to them. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. He says, there's a trap and the trap is offense at me, Jesus. He says, this is the trap. You're seeing the very thing you 
were hoping for and wanting. The, the blind are saying, the good news is preached. Like that was what John came to prepare. But in a moment of uncertainty, why does he have that moment of uncertainty? Because things are not happening the way and in the manner he's expecting. Peter would have that. Jesus talks to them and he says, hey, I'm about to be betrayed and, and I'm about to be put to the cross and, and crucified and put to death, but three days later, I'm gonna rise from the grave. And he's talking to Peter and the disciples and Peter speaks up and he says, um, Jesus, that doesn't fit the plan. That wasn't the plan. Like, like you're the man and we're your, we're your posse. Like, we're your guys. We've been walking around for three and a half years. We've been casting demons out. We've been healing. We've been doing all that stuff. And now it's time for the nation. Like, we're going to roll into Jerusalem and everybody's going to celebrate. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it's going to go. Because Jesus knows that same crowd that on Palm Sunday said, crown him, Hosanna, is the same crowd that a week later is going to say, crucify him. Jesus knew that the reason he came was not to experience short-term celebration or short-term praise, but to win the souls of everyone who would come to Christ. It was to save us for eternity. It was to redeem us and win us back to God. He was coming for something so much greater. And what God does is always greater than my short-term plan. Okay, I gotta keep moving. Number three is Jesus turned the tables on my condition. Verse 10, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. All the city is moved and they say, who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. So anybody that thinks that Jesus always plays nice, <laughs> well, my Jesus would never do that. He's only, listen, he's a lamb and a lion. Okay. Um, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying in the temple, shouting Hosanna, uh, verse, verse 15, uh, son of David, they were indignant and they said, do you hear what these are saying? And he said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you've perfected praise? So here's the environment. Jesus steps into the temple which by the way is his house. You, you don't, like I can't go to my neighbor's house and kick somebody out of my neighbor's house. Are, are you with me? But if, if you have somebody that shouldn't be there, you can kick them out of your house. And Jesus comes to deal with the condition that his house had fallen into. Religion had been twisted to the point where now people were being taken advantage of. And there was all kinds of issues and religion had kept people. People couldn't get to God because of all the stuff in the way. And Jesus doesn't fit in the system he walks into. He walks in the house and goes, no, no, this is a house of prayer. And he starts turning tables over. And then kids start worshiping. And the Pharisees go, we don't do that in our denomination. Like, we don't get expressive. We don't raise our, we don't, we, <laughs> we get in trouble. Uh, and, and Jesus says, why would I stop them? Like, the, out of the mouths of 
Babes, out of the mouths of children, I've perfected praise. In other words, what you're seeing is legitimate. It's sincere. It's real. And in that moment, what's he doing? He's confronting the condition that they had settled in in religion. And now the house is too crowded for Jesus in his own house. Let me make that personal. Because there's times in my life I go, I'm getting too crowded. I'm getting too crowded in my heart, in my mind, in my focus, in my attention, and I need to make room for Jesus in a greater way. And if that means some tables get flipped in my life, because I've learned that Jesus has no problem flipping tables over. But I really like the table there, Jesus. This is, the way, this is the way I've gotten comfortable. And he comes along and goes, flip. <laughs> because he's gonna flip anything. He's gonna turn over anything that's keeping me from him and keeping me from love and keeping me, keeping me from his best and from freedom and life. So Jesus comes and that's our invitation to him is come and turn the tables on my condition. Do you know what the result of that would be? Verse 14, if we could put that up. I skipped that verse for a reason. Verse 14. When Jesus cleared out religion, he made room for the hurting. And the church should never lose sight of those two important things. The house is for the one who owns the house. But it's also a place for the hurting. And when we make room for Jesus, we make room for those that Jesus loves. And Jesus is after, and he's pursuing. What does it say? Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Jason, if you want to get ready. The blind and the lame came to Jesus in the house. And what did he do? He healed them. It was necessary for Jesus to make a mess. <laughs> because by making a mess, he was making a room. By making a mess, he was clearing out what was dead and what was keeping people from God to make room for what they needed. Because here's the last point. Jesus turns the table on what's possible. The blind and the lame came to Jesus those that were hurting, those that were broken, those that could not see and could not walk, and yet they were brought to the temple, they were brought to the house, to more importantly, not just to go to the house, but to go to the person of the house, to go to Jesus, the one who can set them free. And Jesus healed them. And we begin to see a glimpse of what they shouted just moments before, Hosanna, save now. And in, in, in declaring victory and declaring who he is, Jesus came and he opens up the house and he invites those that are hurting and they find that very salvation. Hosanna. Do you know what our families need? Hosanna. Save now. Do you know what our community needs? What our nation needs? What our generation needs? What... This generation that simply is crying out to God. And just a few weeks ago, 
Revivals are breaking out all over the nation in college campuses. And while I think most celebrate that, there's always people that get bent out of shape because it doesn't fit the box. I don't see how you can get upset about college students crying out to God. I just don't. (laughs) But here's what I know. In my own life, if I'm not careful, I can be so used to things being in a tidy box, being a certain way. Like God, you can work in my life, but only at my comfort level. Only what's convenient. And then Jesus comes along, not to hurt or shame or anything, but but he comes out of love to say, let's make some room. Maybe today there's some areas that God wants to make some room in your life and mine. And if we'll allow him to do that, if we'll allow him to flip some things, maybe it's what we've made a priority. Maybe it's what's held us captive. Maybe it's what we thought about God and thought about ourselves. But Jesus comes along and he flips us to free us. And I love this because these people come who are blind and are unable to walk. And Jesus heals them. What people weren't seeing a moment before, they were now experiencing in the house. And whatever your need is, whatever your condition is, whatever you're facing today, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible. I I know we think, well, God can do it for them, but we know us. We know our failures. We know our past. We know our mistakes. We know our needs. And we think, well, that can never change for me. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the same. And what he'll do for one, he'll do for anyone. What he'll do in one person's life, he'll do in any life. And so we come now with a different expectation based on what God has said and who Jesus is. And we say, God, you can do anything. My my role is to surrender and to come to Jesus. I don't have to figure myself out. That's good news, church. People, people are such experts in their mess now. They just, we are, we're experts in our, in our, in our stuff. And we, we've, we've watched every YouTube video there is about it, but we're not anymore free. Because freedom is found in surrender. Freedom's found at the place of not trying to become an expert in my issues, but instead come to the one who sets me free, who sets you free. Do you know what he said of that colt and the donkey? He said, loose them. The Lord has need of them. God has need of you and I. He has need of of you and I. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I want us to pray today as we close. If I could have any of our available prayer team members, if you'd come to the front. The Lord has need of you. (laughs) Nothing's impossible. What could God do with your life if you were untied? What could God do with your story if it wasn't tied to the shame of what you think God can't forgive? 
or you can't move forward from. <laughs> what, what, what could God do with your family if you would take the brokenness and the stuff and the mess and all the things that just about all of us deal with in some way and you would take it to Jesus and say, God, would you redeem and would you restore and would you be at the center of this house, this family, Every so often, I, I want to invite God into my situation to say, Holy Spirit, do I need to make room in my house, in my life? Is it crowded with a bunch of things that need to get flipped? <laughs> Is it my expectations, my plans, my way? It's keeping me from your best or... Is it something that has me tied up? I'm, I'm so tied up in this that I can't. Do you know there's a story, I'll finish with this. There's a story of the disciples are, are, are moving, about ready to be sent out into different towns, different cities. Kind of like Jesus coming to Mason City and saying, okay, two of you are going to Clear Lake and two of you are going to Rockwell and two of you are going. And he's about to do that. But before he does, a crowd comes to him. And, and at that point, it's still cool to follow Jesus. And, and, and the group comes to him and they say, Jesus, um, I'll go wherever you go. As long as I can take a selfie. He didn't say that. I'll go wherever you go. Jesus says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you can come, but it may look different. Like it's, it's, it's not gonna be as comfortable as you're expecting. We're going through Galilee. Like there's no five-star hotel in Galilee. The next one comes and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go but let me first, let me first. And, and what he says doesn't sound bad on the surface. He says, let me go first and bury my dad, my father. And most scholars believe that his concern at that moment wasn't so much about saying goodbye and going to the funeral and being a part of that. No, it was, it was probably, if he was the firstborn, about inheritance. You wanna see some families get into it, have that conversation. And then the third one comes, and this is the last one. He says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me first go back and say goodbye. And two of those three say this. They say, Lord, let me first. If you find out what your let me first is, you found out what has you tied up. If I find out what my let me first is, let me first, then I found out the very thing that has me tied up. Lord, let me first get my life figured out. Let me first fix myself. Let me first, and we have all of our list instead of saying, Jesus, I'll follow you without qualifications, without conditions. You know what the beauty of that is? Nothing's impossible for that Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna be out of here in just a moment. I believe right now the Holy Spirit's speaking to hearts in this room. God's speaking to hearts all over this room. Maybe it's the, it's what's first. Maybe it's what's crowded. What has you tied up? Today's a day of freedom. Today's a day to say, Jesus, I'm gonna say yes to you without qualification, without having it all figured out. Today, I surrender. 
If you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what saves us is not religion. It's not just being good people and following a list of rules. It's saying yes in a way that looks like this. It's surrender to Jesus. I led my life and then I found Jesus and said, Jesus, you be Lord of my life. I'm gonna give my future to you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.